Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor, and my purpose in life is to encourage others to live positively through the many and very challenges that life has to offer us. Uh, you can find out more about the show at uh, journeytosuccessradio.com. And I have an amazing guest with me today. I've interviewed her husband previously. I'm thoroughly entertained and educated by their Facebook posts. And her name is Angela McDaniel. Angela, introduce yourself, and uh, we're going to have a great conversation today. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate you for inviting me to um, participate in the show and um, am excited to share in what way that I can um, and tell a little bit about my story. Um, as you mentioned, you first interviewed my husband. Um, our background is in real estate. We have worked together in real estate um, for close, to, almost close to 15 years. Um, prior to getting involved in real estate, I was an engineer and um, decided to leave that career in pursuit of something that really got my juices flowing, excited me, made me passionate, and helped me feel like I was answering my calling, if you will, in life. So I'm um, very excited to be on the show and look forward to having an opportunity to share. Nice. And uh, I like that, your purpose. Uh, I believe I have my purpose, the same purpose, I believe, if Jesus were sitting across from a table from me, which would be a pretty cool thing. Uh, and I asked him, what is my purpose? Why did you create me? I think I have that purpose, and that's the number one success principle of Napoleon Hill. He has 17 success principles, but if you don't have know your purpose, the other 16 are really not going to help you too much. And so you came to this real estate, you mentioned it briefly, where uh, you came to this real estate uh, realization of your purpose uh, after a number of years working, was it, as an engineer? And then how did you get to finally realize that? A, this is my purpose, and B, I got to leave what I'm doing to pursue what makes me the most happy and fulfills what I love to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, yes, I started out as an electrical engineer at um, an electronics company and um, did very well while I was there, was pursuing um, an executive MBA in the executive MBA program. And um, I'll share the story real quick of, of when kind of the light bulb went off and I knew that I was going to need to make a transition. But we were out to lunch um, with uh, those of us who were students in the class with one of the vice presidents in the company. And um, we were waiting to get our table and we were at the bar. And when you're at the bar waiting for your table, of course, on the screens, they'll show highlights of the sports events from the night before. And they were showing highlights from the NBA game um, previously the night before. And I looked up at the screen and and the thought that came to mind, I expressed to the VP that I was standing next to, which was those guys that are on the screen right now, 
they're doing the one thing that they would do in life for free. If no one paid them, ever since they were a little boy, they just wanted to play basketball. It's something that they loved. I said, but now they're grown men. They get to do something that they would do for free, and they get to make millions of dollars doing it. And I remember him turning and looking at me, and he said, that's exactly how I feel. And I looked at him, and I said in my own mind, that's not how I feel about what I'm doing. He loves this. He would do it for free, and he gets to make millions of dollars doing it as a vice president with this company. Um, but but I don't have that passion for this. I do this because I, I, I picked what I considered to be a smart career, something that, you know, you would earn a good income, provide a good living. Um, I enjoyed math, wasn't too keen on science, but it just seemed like a smart decision when I had to pick a career. It wasn't something that I felt like, oh, I would do this, you know, if no one paid me. You know, when I get up in the morning, I'm just, you know, wearing to um, to to get to some electronics. Um, but that's how I felt about real estate um, because that was one of the things that I would do when I first started working my job uh, right out of college, having just one thing to do, go to work and come home. That was the first time I'd had that. I'd always worked in college, been in organizations, lots of different activities. And so what I would do with my evenings and weekends was drive around looking at houses. I would go to models. I would go to open houses. Um, I just loved being in property. Um, and, and being out looking at property. And so that's what led to me getting my real estate license those first few years that I was also working as an engineer. And so that that lunch and that day is when that light bulb went off and said, what is it that you feel that way about? What would you do for free if no one paid you? You would do it anyway. And for me, that was real estate. Um, and so shortly thereafter, I completed that um, executive MBA program, and then I gave a 90-day notice that I would be leaving, and that was in 2002. Wow. And so there's a a big difference from realizing your purpose to not everybody can easily <laughs> give their 90-day notice and get into pursuing their passion. And I imagine uh, it's because, or one of the main reasons, is because you have an amazing husband, and Tyron is really part of your mastermind group. Napoleon Hill wrote so much about the main, the best mastermind group is between husband and wife, and he shared with Henry Ford and his wife, and Thomas Edison and his wife. And so, uh, how did Ty Tyron react when you were like, "Okay, I finished this MBA program, but..." <laughs> I'm giving my notice, and I'm getting into real estate. Absolutely. Um, he was 100% instrumental. As a matter of fact, probably 110% um, instrumental to that decision because, of course, I did go home and share with him the aha moment that I'd had and, you know, the desire I had to leave and pursue real estate full-time. And at the time, he was in the mortgage industry, so he was already a part of the industry. Um, and, and I remember him asking me, he said, what's the worst thing that can happen if you leave? And I said, well, you know, if, if something happens, you can't do any loans. I can't sell any real estate. We make no money. We lose our house and we end up, you know, homeless on the streets. And he said, is, is you sure that's the absolute worst you can come up with? I said, yes, that's the worst that I can come up with. Well, he said, you know, based on how he'd structured our, our mortgage at that time, 
you know, he's like, we could both have jobs at McDonald's and we'd still be able to, to pay the mortgage on this house. So there's zero possibility of what you imagine to be the worst thing that can happen of that happening. So what do you have to lose? And with that encouragement um, and that framework around it, I felt at peace, you know, to go ahead and give that notice and to make the leap into um, full-time entrepreneurship. Um, and that's something that, you know, even 10 years later, I look back, I had friends that were still at that company who I knew hated it when they were, when they, when I was there back in 2002, um, but they were still there because they felt, um, you know, they they felt trapped or that there was no way out or that they didn't have other options. And a lot of times we let fear of the unknown, fear of, you know, what's the worst that could happen, stagnate us and cause us to to not take a chance, to not move forward, to not pursue what we really want in life because it doesn't seem like the smart or responsible thing to do. Um, and I'm thankful that I had a partner who that just was not his philosophy in life um, because he'd been been getting personal development and, and feeding his mind and just had a different philosophy. And, and that was contagious, you know, as he shared it with me little by little. Right. And you are both, you were going into an industry he was familiar with, so he knew he could assist you in numerous ways and, uh, and to encourage you to do that because many people might come up with uh, an entrepreneurial lifestyle they want to pursue but the fear of leaving that salary and that nice position often uh, stops them from pursuing it. So so nice that he was 110% supportive and even like encouraged you and talked you over the edge a little bit about the worst case scenario is probably likely to never, never happen. And so that's a real benefit uh, to have a a spouse like that who really supports your decisions and wants you to pursue what makes you happy and fulfills your purpose. And that's a, amazing, amazing. Now, uh, you're a co-author of an upcoming book, Journeys to Success, uh, Empowering Stories Inspired by the Principles of Napoleon Hill. And you heard in my introduction that my purpose is to encourage people to live positively through the challenges of life. And you and Tyron have had a not a unique challenge. It's a challenge familiar to with many friends of my wife and I and many people. And so talk about that uh, a bit because that's very important uh, to it's what your chapter is about and very important to the message you have and the little community of people that you share your story with. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, my husband and, and myself are obviously both very driven per, uh, people, very goal-oriented. Um, from the time that he was a little boy, he shared with me there were two things that he wanted. Um, he used to sit on the roof of his mother's house, um, and, and he could see downtown from the roof of their house um, in this this little ghetto of Houston called Fifth Ward. And he would look at the buildings, the skyline at downtown and say that one day he wanted to, to build, he wanted to be in real estate and that he wanted to have a family. Um, and so when we married, we knew, I knew how important having a family was to him. Um, and so as of right now, we have had five pregnancies and we have one child. Um, and his name is Caleb. Caleb is 10 years old. 
Um, however, when Caleb was born, Caleb was over three months premature. He was born at 25 weeks, so he was only one pound and 10 ounces. And so we went through not only miscarriages prior to the birth of Caleb, but enduring, you know, going through the NICU and that entire process for several months that he was in the hospital before we can bring him home. And then um, a couple more losses after the birth of Caleb totally different from the losses we had prior to um prior to his birth and I share more details about those situations in the book um and then the last 7 yeah we're coming up on 7 years now for the last 7 years we have not been able to get pregnant at all um and so after five pregnancies almost back to back no pregnancies whatsoever so i i feel like i've i've experienced the entire gamut um, when it comes to challenges that women have with infertility, miscarriages, um, premature birth, um, whether it was, you know, early trimester um, losses, which our last two were within the first trimester. The first two were second trimester losses. Um, later in the pregnancy, you know, when you've already discovered the sex of the baby and they've told you, you out, you're out of that um you know, that that cautionary period to where they know the pregnancy is viable um, to to lose them that late in the pregnancy. So I, I, I feel like I have experienced the entire spectrum of what women face when it comes to reproductive challenges um, and, and losing children, whether, you know, from conception, after conception, or not being able to conceive. And um, one of the things that um, Think and Grow Rich talks about one of the principles that Napoleon here Napoleon Hill shared was the visualization, you know, and that that thoughts are things. And I can recall when Caleb um, was born, or even before he was born, when I got pregnant with Caleb, and I was just so determined because at this point it was my third pregnancy, determined not to lose him and that that pregnancy would go full term. Even though the doctors were telling me, you're high risk, these are all of the challenges, you know, you're gonna have to be on bed rest. Um, I was eventually, you know, hospitalized. I spent several weeks in the hospital. Um, they had me seeing ne neonatal specialists. Um, I was seeing GI specialists, because I had to hang upside down in a position, what they call Trendelenburg, where your feet are elevated higher than your head. And that's how I was kept basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Had to use a bedpan, um, you know, those kinds of things. And I, I told the doctor, I said, you've at least got to give me 10 minutes a day each morning when they come to change my sheets to get out of the bed and go to the restroom. I refuse to use the, the, the bedpan, so at least give me that. So I had I had 10, 10 minutes each morning that I could get up to go to the restroom, and then I had to, you know, be back, be back in the bed. And I stayed like that. For, for six weeks until my pregnancy, um, you know, I went into labor and they couldn't stop it early. But throughout that entire process, I always visualized and envisioned a toddler. I would see myself with Caleb, you know, spinning him around, dancing in the floor, chasing a ball, you know, doing things that parents do with toddlers. And that visualization throughout that process, I believe, is what helped me to keep the faith and to continue to believe that we would have a positive result, even though everything in the natural 
looked opposite of what I was believing for. Mm, you're making me smile a little bit. I've had rheumatoid arthritis since I am five years old, and along with having four hips, four knees, and two shoulders replaced, I was in hospital about 40 times, two or three times wow. a year, wow. until I was about 20. And the doctor's orders were always bed rest with bathroom privileges. And there was one time when I was a teenager, I was like, come on, this is, like, boring. So I was walking, struggling down the hall, holding a banister, and my doctor came down the hallway, and steam was coming out of her ears, and she was mad. She said, I told you you could only get out of bed to go to the bathroom. And I said, you didn't tell me which bathroom, and there's one at the end of the hallway, <laughs> and I'm going to that one. And, I uh, love yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. And I had to have, yeah, same thing, feet raised to get all the inflammation out of my feet and knees. And I wasn't going to let them use a bedpan or any of those other things. I was like, I got to get out of bed, too. And so, yeah, I can understand. And two weeks of it, man, is boring as heck. Uh, But for uh, uh, the wonderful gift of Caleb, it was well, well worth it. And so I imagine that uh, it's impossible for a couple to go through all those challenges, even with the premature birth, along with the miscarriages, uh, there must have been a lot of crying and hugging and praying and pleading with God and maybe even some madness at God um, as as part of the process. It would be almost unnatural uh, not to be, right? Well, and, and that's the part to me that I believe is so miraculous about our story, or encouraging about it, absolutely, yes, there were tears. Um, But I can recall um, our first miscarriage, I was actually, let's see, I had hosted a women's fellowship um, at my house. So both both of my first two miscarriages that happened in my second trimester, on both occasions, I had a house full of people. Um, The second one, I was giving a surprise party for my sister's birthday. And um, one of our guests at the party was actually an emergency room physician. And I remember when I felt the baby drop, I had them call, you know, for my husband um, to come into the bedroom. And she examined me and she said that she could see the baby's feet. Um, And so, of course, um, they were like, okay, let's, let's get her to the hospital immediately. So all the guests left, but one of my girlfriends followed us to the hospital. And I remember when we got there, um, you know, they said, it's, it's, you're too far, you're too far, you know, in in the process, the, the baby's coming, we can't stop it, but he's not far enough along where we can try to, you know, sustain him. Um, cause he had to be at least 22 weeks. And I think in, in that one, I was about 17 weeks. And so I knew that even though he was born breathing, he would not live because he hadn't developed, you know, lungs and everything to be able to breathe on his own, and there was nothing they would be able to do. And um, um, I can recall when we were back in the in the recovery room, and my girlfriend was still there. Me, her, and my husband were, and it sounds crazy, but we were laughing and we were telling jokes. And I had just lost a child. But one of the things that rang in my head was a message that my pastor's wife 
had taught. And she shared a scripture, it was in Matthew 6.33, about how it said, I'm paraphrasing, but it, it basically said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've harmed, I've robbed it of its power to hurt you. And it was basically saying nothing shall by any means hurt you. And, and that's, that's what I was holding on to at that time is that God has robbed circumstances and situations of their power to hurt me. And so I, that's what I was meditating on and saying, I cannot be hurt by this. I cannot be hurt by this. Amen. 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 Reminds me of the uh, verse in James 1, verse 2, where he talks about rejoice when you face challenges or struggles of many kinds. And I used to think, what the heck is he talking about? Um You're Hello, back. Tom? Yeah, okay, you're back. I'm a, um, I, I was saying um, that that uh, that verse reminds me of James uh, chapter one verse two, where he says, "Rejoice when you face struggles or challenges of many kinds." And I used to wonder, what the heck is this guy talking about? When I was in enormous pain and stiff from head to toe, I would stare at that and like, how can you rejoice? But I believe when you know God and you have his Holy Spirit in you, you do not behave like other people do. And that would be the only explanation for you uh, and Tyron and your uh, friend laughing and and uh, not feeling so overwhelmed. When you have the peace of the Lord, challenges are still challenges, but we don't face them in the same way as people who do not have the hope that we have. Exactly. And, um, and, and there is a verse that says, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. And, and, and that's I felt. And even um, with the first one, let's see, I was 20 weeks, and that was a little girl. Um, I had held a women's Bible study at my house that night, and I was having contractions and didn't realize that what it, that's what it was. I just thought I was having cramps. Um, and because it was my first pregnancy and I, you know, called the doctor and talked to the nurse, she said, oh, that, you know, that can, that can be normal sometimes depending on your level of, of certain types of activities, you know, no need to be alarmed by it. So I went through the entire evening having these cramps that were, in fact, contractions. Um, and it was probably about 2 a.m. when they were just so intense I couldn't take it anymore. And I told my husband, we've got to go, you know, we've got to go to the hospital because this is not normal, this is not right. Um, and on that one, again, it was a situation where they're like, yes, you are in labor and we can't stop it. Um, you are going to deliver. But at 19, I think at 19 weeks and five days, it was still too early for them to try to, um, you know, sustain the life of the baby. And and the scripture that was going through my mind that time was out of Psalms. And it was, though I am fallen, I'm not utterly destroyed. And that's what, what I just kept meditating and hearing in my voice. Though I'm falling, I'm not utterly destroyed. And And that one hurt because you know, that was our first pregnancy. We've been waiting 
you know, all this time, um, you know, like I said, from, from my husband's perspective, from, from the time that he was a little boy, always knowing that he wanted a family. And so to have this, this first pregnancy, you know, you're so excited. You've made it through the first trimester. Um, and, and even to some degree to feel like, okay, God, I was hosting women at my house to study the word. I'm, I'm committed to doing the work of the Lord. And, and this is how I get attacked, you know, and this is what happens. But I just kept saying, no, I'm fallen. I'm not utterly, utterly destroyed. And I, I really have the mindset that if I haven't won the fight, the fight isn't finished. The fight isn't finished until I win it. So I said, you know, devil, you may have taken your shot. You may have won this battle, but you haven't won the war. And I still believe that I will be, you know, the mother of children and that I will have a child. Um, and so, like I said, by the time Caleb, by the time of that third pregnancy, I was very, you know, adamant and committed to the fact that he shall live and not die. He shall declare the works of the Lord. Um, and that in spite of what happens in the natural, I, I refuse to believe that I will lose this baby. Um, and, and it really Amen. the the preaching it, preaching it. You're preaching it. Very good. I love it. Now, um, I'm thinking of Tyrone and for a man, how did he? I could imagine there could be conflicts if in a non-Christian marriage, even in a Christian marriage, there's conflict. But uh, did he ever get to being upset at you or pissed at the no. statement? Yeah, wow. he he did. I do feel like my husband grieved in a different way than I did. Um, Tyron is very private. He's not vocal. He keeps a lot to himself. Um, but he he is he's extremely optimistic. And so, if he ever has negative thoughts or negative feelings, in most cases, we will never know them because he's not going to share them because he holds to the mindset too: what you focus on expands. So if it's a negative thought, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to rehearse it. I'm not going to repeat it. I'm not going to tell the negative story over and over because I will get more of the same. I'm going to focus on what it is that I want to manifest and talk about that. Um, and, you know, we have a, a biblical example of that with, with the story of Abraham and Sarah with the birth of Isaac. Abraham's original name was Abram. And God changed it to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Well, at the time that he changed his name, he didn't have any children. He had none. And he told Abraham, he took him outside and he said, I want you to go and look up at the stars and, and count, count the stars and imagine a face on every single star. So shall thy seed be. Why, was, why did God go through that? process with Abraham because he needed him to have a mental picture of what was going to come to pass so that he could believe that he would receive it and that way the promise could come to pass. Because if we're not, if we don't believe, if, if our thoughts aren't in line with what we want to manifest, we, we can't produce it in, in the natural realm. Um, you know, that's, that's how Napoleon Hill starts. Uh, think and grow rich, that thoughts are things, that our thoughts and what we believe are so powerful, are so impactful to what happens in this natural realm, we have to be able to look beyond what we see in the natural 
and see it in the spirit realm so that it can manifest in the natural. Um, and so as a, as a woman, of course, for me, there were times that I felt I have not, I have not fulfilled what woman was created for. Um, you know, part of her purpose in terms of birthing children and, and reproducing. And so, yes, you will have the, um, the insecurity, you know, the temptation to feel less than because you can't do what other people seem to do, you know, when you're looking all around you so effortlessly and easily. You know, I can remember times walking in the mall and seeing someone pregnant and I'm like, they're pregnant and they get to walk around. I could never, like, I couldn't do that when I was pregnant. They told me, okay, I've got to get in the bed and I've got to lay down and I've got to hang upside down because you could lose this pregnancy. And to just feel, man, they're so blessed to be able to do that and they don't even know it. They just, you know, I just got pregnant. And, and during this time, my husband had several nieces who got pregnant who were much younger, um, you know, in in and in, in, in not every situation was it their their preference or their choice to be pregnant at that time. It it, it happened. So it it felt it felt like okay, why they that's not even something that they wanted. We want this more than anything, and yet we're being challenged in it. Um, and and part of what I took from this process is that my pain had a purpose that it was bigger than just us and me and what we experienced, but it was also to be able to to share with other women, to encourage other women, to let them know you don't have to go into a state of deep, deep depression um, as a result of this. You don't have to be defined or feel less than as a woman because of this. And if you still desire children, you don't have to give up on the hope and the belief that you will have them because until you, from my perspective, until I leave the earth, as long as I still believe I can have children, I'm standing in faith that we'll have more children. I'm I'm still standing in that faith right now. I'm confessing daily that we have three children. It's my belief that the next two will come together. Because there is a point where I'm like, okay, God, when I get to a certain age, I don't want to be pregnant anymore. Um, so so my faith right now is that. You know, if I want three, the next two have got to come together. Um, right. And so right. I, I still believe we will receive that. Amen. I knew I loved Tyrone. I knew we were of like minds. As uh, um, last year, my arthritis been really bad, and I've mentioned it to a few people. And one of my friends that I've known for thirty-seven years, he said, "I've never heard you voluntarily speak of your pain." He says, enormously shocking. Uh, but, yeah, I can have it in my head, but that doesn't mean I have to come out of my mouth. And uh, coming out of my mouth gives it power. When I speak and I share of the challenges I've had, it makes me feel more sore. And so why would I bother speaking it? It's like acknowledging that it has power over me. So I'll keep it in my head. Uh, but, yeah, I mentioned it to a few close friends, and he's like, wow, I've never actually heard you voluntarily just come up and talk about the pain you're in. I'm like, well, very good. That's my plan, and that's my goal. And it uh, sounds like Tyron is exactly that type of person as well. You can have the negative thoughts, but 
once you start speaking them and sharing them with other people, uh, now you're giving them power to hurt you more than they should. Another topic I wanted wanted to explore is that uh, both you and Tyron uh, sort of moved out of classes in that I know when you were both young, both of you were uh, not in the middle class or even the upper class and uh, came from pretty poor backgrounds. And a lot of times when that happens, the mindset is so affected that it's almost impossible to move out of the poverty mindset into uh, the wealth mindset. And and how did that happen uh, for both of you? Because you both came from pretty uh, bad, not bad circumstances, great people around you, but poor circumstances. Exactly, exactly. And it's always funny because, you know, I say, at least for us, even though we were poor, it was a while before I knew it. Like, I didn't know it as a kid. <laughs> right. if, you know, if, if there is an abundance around you, you just assume, it's, okay, this is how everybody lives. I mean, we're, we were happy. Um, but, yes, I'll share. I, I, you know, my the town that I was born in, a population of 3,000, um, you know, you had the railroad tracks that ran through the city that, separ- you know, that basically segregated, and I say city, towns, segregated the town. Um, I can remember as a little girl bathing on my grandmother's back porch because we didn't have running hot water um, in the house. You would have to heat the water on the stove. Um, and we had this big, this big tub. There was a toilet inside the house, but there was no bathtub. Um, so you had to get this big, huge bin or, or tub and fill it with hot water and, and take it, you know, and sometimes we take the bath on the back porch in the winter, it would, you know, be inside the house in the, in one of the bedrooms. Um, and I don't really know when I knew, I don't know what was the seed that, that gave me the thought that I wanted to be wealthy, but I can remember when I was about nine years old, my mother was cooking in our kitchen and I was, I don't know, piddling around in the kitchen. And I looked at her and I said, mommy, I said, I'm going to be a millionaire one day. And my mother's, you know, just at the stove cooking. She turns, she looks at me and she says, I know. And she went right back to cooking. And so for me, I kind of felt like I said, okay, it, it, it must've been part of, my purpose and destiny to have a wealth mentality because no one, no one taught me that. Um, I just, one day I said it and, and thankfully I had a parent, you know, parents who reaffirmed it versus saying, are you out of your mind? Do you see where we're at? Do you, you know, like you're not going to be able to do that. How do you think that's ever going to happen? And my parents, you know, did eventually move, you know, to the city where my dad could expose us to better. And, um, and, you know, when I graduated high school, I was voted most likely to be a millionaire by 30. Well, it didn't happen by 30. But again, for me, it, it's always been the belief, the belief. As long as I believe it and as long as I'm still believing, there's still an opportunity for it to come to pass. Um, for my husband... I, I remember him sharing his first entrepreneurial pursuit. I think he was in second grade, 
and they started selling pencils to their classmates at school. I don't know where they would get these pencils from, but they would get, they would buy the pencils in bulk and then they would resell them to the kids at school. And he says he remembers getting called into the principal's office um, and they got in trouble for having this money. And um, they told them you cannot sell, you know, you can't sell in the school. And he said when we got home, you know, we got in trouble because we'd been sent to the principal's office. And, you know, he talks about getting punished by his parents. But he says, you know, no one, no one thought, oh, these are enterprising young men and right. encouraged that. Instead, they got slapped on the hand and were told, you can't do that um, because this is school, which I understand, the, you know, rules being, being in place. But so even for him from a very, very early age, that entrepreneurial mindset was there. And he, you know, again, I, I believe our steps are ordered. And so people were placed in his life, circumstances, events, opportunities, et cetera, to, to nourish and, and cause that to develop. Um, and that was one of the things that even connected us. Our first date was at a bookstore. Um, that was the first place that he took me. Um, and, and we were looking at magazines. We were looking at the Rob Report. We were looking at, um, you know, Christie's Real Estate, things that we couldn't nowhere near afford, but just in that time, seeing how people, you know, incredibly more abundant and wealthy than, than we were could live and saying, you know what, that's possible for me too. I can have that. Man, people pay $200,000 for a watch. Can you imagine that? You know, that's mm -hmm. the kind of conversation that we were having um, on our first wow. date. What a cool first date. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> not a lot of first dates are in a bookstore. <laughs> well, yes, we've, we've both been avid readers um, throughout our life, and that, for me, started very early as well. Amazing, amazing, and you just followed, and it, again, this is where a uh, mastermind partner, husband and wife, together, can really spur each other on and encourage each other, and, oh, I read this book, you got to read it, and then you can talk about the book, and then you can make plans together, and that doesn't always happen for every couple, so uh, obviously God put you two together for a powerful reason and a powerful purpose. And even from Facebook, I could see, like, you love on Caleb like crazy. Like, he has an amazing childhood. Like, Tyrone's involved. Tyrone's involved with, I think it is, Boycus Cubs or Scouts. And he seems to always yeah. have, like, half a team in his car or half a team of kids going somewhere, basketball games. Like, it doesn't seem like Caleb goes anywhere by himself. He doesn't. He doesn't. And and again, I think that goes back to, you know, our our desire was always to have a large family. Um, I have, I'm the oldest of five siblings, uh, five children. Um, Tyron was the baby out of five. So we both came from large families. Um, you know, when our, when our families get together, my, my parents, my dad's side had, you know, eight, nine, siblings, my mother's side did as well. So I've got, you know, gobs and gobs of cousins and we were accustomed to, to large families. Um, 
you know, and, and, and that to me, you know, just kind of signifies how we don't get to pick what our challenges are. You know, we don't, get to, we don't, we don't know how the challenge is going to come, how it's going to manifest, but we have the assurance and the confidence that in whatever form it manifests, we're capable of being victorious in it. You know, if, if I find myself in a situation, I say God has surveyed the canvas of my life and determined that I have available on the inside of me what's necessary to endure that challenge and to come out on the other side of it. And and we Amen. all have that ability. And just we having do. the we mindset do. exactly, just having the mindset that that is the case again lets people know that it doesn't have to be the end. You know, it doesn't have to be depression. It doesn't have to be um debilitating um you know, hurt that that just paralyzes you and keeps you from accomplishing things, keeps you from believing more, keeps you from doing more, we're all going to face challenges. Nobody is exempt. No one gets away from it. Um, and, and even, you know, whether it's, you know, because there may be some people listening who say, well, yeah, you know, they've been able to, to, to succeed or, you know, to experience victory because they have each other. I'm by myself or my spouse doesn't support me or my spouse is negative. Again, that's, that's the set of circumstances and situations that you have been given, but you still have on the inside of you everything that you need to be able to overcome that, to still be victorious, to still have victory, to still be happy based on what you believe is possible. And if you'll just right. change what you you can change what you believe, and it will, in turn, change the circumstance. Amen. I uh, read a quote somewhere recently where someone said, what if God didn't uh, plan for marriage to make you happy, but to make you holy? And this mm-hmm. is, uh, you have it within you to uh, become holy and become a, a great spouse. Uh, I was laughing, uh must have been the last few weeks, uh, <laughs> Caleb was out with his buddies in a wicked rainstorm playing and splashing around and getting <laughs> soaking wet. And uh, my wife and I were looking after a two-year-old for a weekend uh, about a month ago and she was walking towards a puddle, and my wife said, oh, don't step in the puddle. I said, no, no, step in the puddle. And I started splashing in the puddle, and she started splashing in the puddle. My wife was like, what are you doing? And I said, we have a dryer at home. We can throw socks and shoes in the dryer. And she was just splashing and stomping in the puddle. I was like, yeah, come on, you're only a kid once, so you got to stomp in a few puddles. And Caleb was out England with a couple of his friends, and they were just in a ginormous puddle. And I was like, wow, that's very cool parents. Uh, and I think it was because, uh, I think Tyrone, Tyron wrote that, it's because he couldn't watch TV. So, yeah, too many parents would be like, oh, it's wet outside, just go watch TV. You're like, no, no, it's wet outside, go out and have fun. And, you know, that's the kind of experience that kids will remember many years later and be so uh, grateful and thankful for and have a huge smile on their face. And so you really have uh, taken to the two of you to make sure that Caleb enjoys a really great childhood and experiences a lot of cool and great things. And uh, Tyron seems to be involved in all kinds of these things and usually with a bunch of other boys around. And so 
it is a lot of fun to watch how much you enjoy being a parent and uh, how well Caleb <laughs> gets to experience life. It is quite a joy. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's our way, too, of expressing our gratitude and thankfulness for for Caleb and what we have. Like I said, not focusing on the children we've lost, um, but focusing on what we have. Because um, a heart of gratitude is, is also important and critical in life as well. And the more gratitude that we express, the more we're able to receive. Amen. 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 And this is, again, part of being a Christian. That, uh, to me, I often wonder and talk with people like, I wonder how people who aren't Christians survive tough, tough, challenging times. Um, we still have tough times as Christians, but we are able to always somehow find the joy of the Lord and the reason and the purpose for it and realize that life is not about us. It's not about our happiness. It's about being of service to others. And you've taken a tragedy and a sadness that affects many couples and you've made it um, almost into a purpose where you can share and speak into the lives of other couples who are going through this. And uh, with having gone through it, it gives you way more uh, power in your message than if you hadn't gone through it yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, there was, um, I'll, I'll share another a resource that was, pretty instrumental for me during that time as well. There's a book by a lady by the name of Jackie Mize. Um, She's no longer living, but um, her story, and and again, it was a similar situation. A lady who had a story, and she experienced numerous losses, but then later went on to have, I believe, four children. Um, But it's called Supernatural Childbirth um, by Jackie Mize. And her sharing her story is, is what, helped to inspire me. You know, it gave me a different paradigm in terms of how I viewed my circumstance and my situation. And that's the same thing that I'm, that I, I believe I've been called to do for, for other women. Um, so it's, yeah. it's very powerful. I, I saw how that impacted me and how it, how it worked in our situation. And, and, the thought of even having the the slightest amount of impact to some degree that she had in my life, me being able to pay that forward for the next young lady um, or the next woman or the next couple, that's that's an humbling, you know, responsibility. Um, and and that's why I, I want to be able to share our story. Amen. Amen. It's a powerful story, and many people are affected by the same situation, and so it's good to hear um, people sharing it, because sometimes people might be embarrassed, sometimes they might be too upset, um, but when you share it, you give hope to other couples who are going through the same thing, and uh, it's exciting that that's what your chapter is about, and exciting that God's given you this on your heart to uh, help other couples and encourage other people going through it. Um, very, very powerful. Well, uh, we could go on for a long time, but uh, let's. Uh, we'll have to end the show now. 
But uh, very, very powerful story, very, very powerful uh, marriage that God has arranged for the two of you, where you are mastermind partners and uh, just encourage each other through the tough times. And that's got to be a source of inspiration in itself. And so I know I enjoy watching your Facebooks and uh, posts and all the fun that you have as a family. And that's what God intended for families to be. And you're living that out in in real life. And it's very encouraging and fun to watch, even before I knew the story behind it on Find It All. And uh, I only found out because I asked about Caleb's nickname. What is it, Big right. Cabo? <laughs> Big Cabo. So, yeah, Big even that mispronounced. Hey, we're, we're a family full of mispronunciations between it. Angelia pronounced Angela Tyrone pronounced Tyron and Cabo pronounced or Cabo pronounced Cabo. <laughs> right, right. And I had them all screwed up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you even took the challenge of uh, of uh, what he went through to pick a nickname, and we won't go through it. But the, the nickname came from uh, the challenge of having him born so young and being so small. Thanks so much for your time today, Angela. It's been encouraging and inspiring to me, and I know that many, many uh, couples, Christians and non-Christians, uh, will be inspired by your marriage and your faith and your purpose to help other couples who are having these challenges. I really appreciate talking to you today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Tom, for giving me the platform and um, allowing me to participate in in you fulfilling your purpose. So again, I do not take it lightly. I appreciate you for even considering me and I'm honored to have had an opportunity to be a part of this. Amen. And one of my wife's and my goals is to see Joel Osteen in his church in Houston. So we may be guests of yours while we're down there. Awesome. That would be wonderful. Come on down. Amazing. Have a great night. Thanks so much, Angela. YouTube. Thank you you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtootall.com for details.